Our reading today is Luke 1, verses 46 to 56. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generations to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thanks so much, Deb. Um, Shall we just close our eyes and pray for Jonathan as he opens up God's word for us this morning? Father, we thank you for the beauty of scripture and we thank you for these words. And we just pray now as Jonathan looks into this and expands this for us this morning, that your spirit would just speak through him and that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say through this wonderful, wonderful lady, Mary, whom you used and you chose. So I just pray, Spirit of God, would you fall on him now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Deb, for reading. Thanks, Claire. I wonder if you like inspirational quotes, you know those pithy one-liners that tell you all you need to know about a different topic. Well, I've got a few for you this morning. Um, these are all about life being a journey. Here you go, here's a few to start us off. By an 18th century Irish poet to start with. I'm sure you're well into your 18th century Irish poetry. Here we go. Life is a journey that must be travelled no matter how bad the road and accommodations. I love the way there's an S on accommodations. I wonder why that's the case. It must be the way of writing. Or slightly different from a rapper. Sometimes it's the journey that teaches you a lot about the destination. That's true as Christians, isn't it? If we see Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate aim, we learn a lot on the road. Here's one from the Pope. Life is a journey. When you stop, things don't go right. You can ponder on that one if you want. Or this one. Life is a journey to be experienced, not a problem to be solved. Who said that? Anyone have a guess? Which profound thinker said that? Johnny Vegas. Johnny Vegas. (laughs) Sadly not. Anyone? Somebody you will all have heard of. Go on, one other person have a go. Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Now, I'm going to donate my folder to Boris Johnson so he can keep his notes in order. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. Who would have thought such profound words would come from a bear? Now, I don't know what it's like for bears, but for humans, sometimes in life, we can look for solutions to problems and not want to experience the journey of life. We can be very much people who think that life should have a destination. Have you ever found the phrase, I'll do that when everything has settled down? 
I'll do that when. I'll do that when I feel happy. I'll do that when I've got the new job. I'll do that when we've moved house. We're constantly on the search for destinations. Now, Christmas is just around the corner. Anybody like writing Christmas lists? Put your hand up if you're a Christmas list writer. Do a few people put your hand up if you're like me and you think everything can be done on Christmas Eve, <laughs> including sending Christmas cards, and then you're amazed that they don't get there on time. We're different, aren't we? Some people like that thought that if you plan everything to the nth degree, it will all get sorted. Others of us are a bit more the kind of blagget. Let's hope for the best. But the reality is, life is neither like a Christmas list that you can organize and solve, nor is it just something you can blag your way through and hope for the best. Life is a journey that we travel, and it throws unexpected things onto us. The real question I want to look at today is, who are we traveling with in life? Who is our journeying companion, and what does that look like for each of us? Well, today is, as we've already mentioned, it's the start of Advent. Now, in our church here, we don't always particularly focus on Advent. But for this year, we are going to be looking at some of, I suppose, what would be the traditional Advent readings. So today we're looking at Mary's song. Next week we'll be unpacking Zechariah's song. And then we'll go into the Christmas season and look at some of the more songs that come in Luke's Gospel. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, you might find this quite helpful. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some church ones. We've got some nice new church Bibles that are sat over there in front of the PA desk. If when you come in on a Sunday morning you want to grab one, that would be brilliant, just so we can have the text in front of us. But in those first few verses of Luke's Gospel, there are intertwined two events about the births of babies. One is about John the Baptist, who will be born to Elizabeth and Zechariah in their old age. This, in its own way, is a very, very miraculous birth. And then the coming of Jesus, Jesus who is the Son of God. And the verses then that follow are actually really well known. I've not got time to read out the whole of chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. But just to read a little bit after Gabriel, the angel, has appeared to Mary. This is verses 31 down to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you ought to call him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And then it goes on in verse 33. And he will reign over the house of David, and his kingdom will never end. There's then a bit of a dialogue as Mary questions how this can happen, seeing as she's still a virgin. But then we get in verse 38, this most beautiful, poignant verse. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have have said. She says yes to God's, plans, to God's plans for her life. She affirms what the angel has said and said, so be it. If this is what God has for me, this is what my life will be like. She draws a line in the sand and says, this is who I am. I wonder if God has spoken into your life at the moment. If God has said something to you, are you saying yes to God's call? Are you saying yes to God who longs to journey with us? And so the journey starts. Mary's journey gets going. Now, at the start of her journey, we, we don't know quite how old she is at this point. It's likely that she's a, a teenager. Um, that's about the age that, that people got married at this period of history. Um, and it's, it's very reasonable to presume that she's only young. And as she starts her journey as the mother of Jesus, she does so based on the words just of the angel. She knows nothing of the destination. She knows nothing of where she will travel. She knows nothing of where life will take her. She simply says yes to God and gets going. 
God is going to be her journey and companion. Her promises that she made to the angel, her yes to God, is like the line in the sand that she will follow on from. And so as we go through scripture, as the gospel accounts unfold, Mary is still there. She's a key figure, not surprisingly, in the birth narratives. She's still there during the flight to Egypt when Jesus and the family have to flee. And it's just a a reminder there, Jesus has been a refugee. As we hear about refugees and the migrant crisis, Jesus has been there. He knows what it is like. He's on the side of the refugee. Then we come to chapter 2 in Luke, and Jesus is there at the temple talking with the religious leaders. Mary is still there. Fast forward quite a long way, and we're in John's gospel. He's there. Mary is still there in John chapter 2, when Jesus is turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. She is still there in John chapter 19, where Jesus is crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. That terrible experience for Mary. We don't know what she went through. We don't know the agonies. The gospel writers don't tell us the depths of despair that she must have felt. She is still there, and the final named appearance of Mary in the New Testament is Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where it says they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brothers. This is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-ascension, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Who is there? Mary the mother of Jesus. She's probably in her late 40s by this time. She has seen through a lot. She has been through a lot, yet she has remained true to that yes that she said to the angel Gabriel. That yes that she said to God has kept her going. Mary is a thinker. Remember she's young. Remember she's probably a teenager. And she writes these incredibly beautiful and profound words. I read somebody um, this week about this passage that said, as Mary sings out these words, sings out her song, she becomes the first theologian of the the Christian church, the first person to respond about what Christ has done and think about it, and she becomes the first Christian songwriter. I don't know if you want to push that that far, but it's that kind of response. This is who Mary is at this point, and it's amazing. The good news starts with this young girl singing out this profound praise to God. So she thinks, she's a thinker, she's a ponderer, and she wants to know God more. Verse 1, my soul glorifies the Lord. Other translations, you might have a version of the Bible in front of you that says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's really a bit closer to what the original means. Now I'm going to share my age here, but if you've been in church since the 1980s, you may know the song, we will magnify Anyone want to nod? We will magnify the Lord enthroned in Zion. It was a hit song in about 1984 when I was, well, that sort of size. Now, I remember singing that as a seven or eight-year-old, thinking, what on earth is this about? It's not exactly user-friendly lyrics, is it? You know, we will magnify the Lord enthroned in Zion. It doesn't really resonate with the life of a seven-year-old. But what I thought it was about was that God had shrunk. And that I needed to get my magnifying glass out and go looking for God because he'd shrunk and more or less disappeared. And it's funny, isn't it? What we sing sometimes makes no sense to people. makes no sense to, to people particularly of that sort of age group. But, you know, there is nothing we can do that will make God grow or shrink. Absolutely nothing we can do. So when we say let's magnify the Lord, it's not that as we praise, God grows and gets bigger or God becomes more powerful. God is totally self-sufficient. God is God. He is the creator of the heavens and earth. 
But what does happen is God can grow bigger in my life. I can allow God more and more room. So he is glorified in what I do. You see, we live in a world of distractions. We live in a world that is constantly pulling us in all kinds of different directions. It was Black Friday, wasn't it, on Friday? You may have battled around the shops to buy some deal or something. I know we did to get, um, well, I won't say what it was because they'll know they're in the room, so I better not say what it was. But we, we were pushing around the shops to try and buy this Black Friday deal. We get distracted. It might be work distracts you. It might be the news distracts you. It might be all these other things, college, um, you know, stuff that you've got to do. And what can happen is our space for God gets squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. So instead of God being magnified in our lives, being made bigger in our lives, he becomes God of the what's left, or God of the margins, or God of the, well, if we've got a bit of time, I'll, I'll squeeze God in somewhere. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can find myself saying things like, well, I'll pray when I have the time. I'll read my Bible when I have the time. I'll, I'll come to church if, if I've done absolutely everything else. I'll, I'll come to church, or I'll, I'll watch the, the online church service if I get a minute. Now, the things we do to maintain our relationship with God, these spiritual disciplines, they are really important, but they are not God himself. We can do all those things, and God can still not be glorified. You know, being in church does not make my view of God any bigger, more than my, walking past McDonald's makes me put on weight. It's the same kind of thing. You know, we actually have to get stuck in in our relationship with God. But God can get sidelined. He can get pushed to the margins. But for Mary, she will have none of this. She wants to see God glorified, magnified, made bigger in her life. And it says she will rejoice in God, her Savior. Now, when we sing that word rejoice, and we'll probably sing it in a couple of weeks as we start to open our carol books, and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, you know, rejoice. And we sing it in a quite somber tune. Do you know what that word actually means? It means to jump and to leap about. So when we come to that song, I, you know, we can jump and leap about, because that's what it means. I mean, it says her spirit does it. It doesn't say she physically does it. But it's that, size, that sense of inside, that inner response to God, that heart joy that God has done great things. A number of years ago, we went on holiday, and we booked a Jeep Safari. If, if ever you've been on holiday and you see things advertised and say, you come with us on this day tour or whatever, you sort of take your life into your own hands, don't you? Because you never quite know who the tour guide is going to be. And I'm sure those of us who have done that have had some really good experiences and possibly some less than satisfactory experiences. Now, ours was a good one. We went on, on this safari. We were in Tenerife. And we ended up on these um, two sort of Land Rover things, going up around the mountains, right up onto the, the tops. If you've been to Tenerife, there's a great big mountain in the middle. And then we went down some valleys way off the tourist route. And he said, don't worry bringing your food with you. We will feed you. So we were thinking, what on earth are these, these two random blokes going to feed us for lunch? But it was wonderful. They brought out this amazing spread of local food. And the whole thing was great. By the end of the day, we'd learned to trust our tour guide. We'd got to know our tour guide. You know, as we journey through life, one of the biggest problems, and one writer has said this, the biggest problems for us as Christians is that we don't know the tour guide well enough. We have pushed him to the sides. We don't know God well enough, so we don't know how to trust him. We don't know what it means to magnify God. We don't know what it means to have him at the center of our lives. For Mary, 
God is there. God is right at the center. The line has been drawn. She will say yes to God, and she will keep moving forward. And Mary describes God's character. I was in the high school this week and talking to some of the young people who were there about their ideas of God, and we were asking the question, is God still relevant today? Now, some people said, well, I don't believe in God. I don't have any any idea of God. Other people said, well, yes, God is relevant because lots of people worship God, but I don't have any language to describe what I think God is like. We need to be praying for for our young people, both in our churches and um, more sort of nationally. But Mary will describe the God she has said yes to. She understands what God is like. She understands what God has done in history, how God has acted, and what she expects God to do in the future. So this this actual song, and if you've got it in front of you, just have a look down from verse 49. We sung a creed earlier on, but this almost reads a bit like a creedal song, like a declaration of belief. Sit with me just for a few minutes. We'll try and zoom through this. But verse 49, he is holy. God is holy. God is not like me. He's not like you. He is set apart. He is different. He is pure. He is love. He is light. He is life. He's all these things that we aren't. Verse 50, he is merciful. He doesn't see us as we deserve, but he sees us through his love and mercy. And when we're found in Christ, when we've said yes to Jesus, he sees not me, but he sees Jesus in me. Verse 51, he has done mighty deeds, scattering those who have deep-seated pride. There was a, a bit of a, a time in, in history in this country, probably in the 18th century, where people got the idea that God was like a watchmaker. And God had made a watch, and that was the universe. He wound it up, and then he cleared off and left it alone. I don't know where people thought he went, but anyway, he cleared off, left the watch alone, and just sort of let it run itself. And then when it's run down, that's the end of history. God is not like that. God has not abandoned his people. God is an active God who is doing mighty things in our day to day. And Mary will have known some of the mighty things that God did. She will have known about the exodus. She will have known about the exile and then the restoration. She will have seen evidence of God being at work. Because of her past trust of God, trusting him in the present makes total sense. Because she knows what God has done, she knows to trust him in her today. I don't know about your life today. I don't know what you're going through. You might be thinking, I wonder whether I can trust God in this situation. I wonder whether I can trust God with what life is throwing at me at the moment. Mary's song reminds us that, yes, absolutely, God is trustworthy. He is with Mary the whole way through. He is still there with her in Acts chapter 1. When she's been through the agony, when she's been through all the heartache, God is there. God is faithful. Verse 52, he brings down rulers but lifts up the humble. God's rule is very different to human rule. And as Jesus starts talking about the coming kingdom of God, he will talk about an upside-down kingdom where the humble are the ones who are lifted and the proud are the ones who are brought low. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 53, it says he has filled the hungry but sent the rich away empty. You know, Luke, in his gospel, he is passionately concerned that as people who are following Jesus, we too have a heart for the poor. Now, obviously, that is the spiritually poor, absolutely. But also those who are in poverty, those who are impoverished in our world today. Verse 54, God has remembered Israel. 
God will keep his promises. What God has said, God will do. God made promises to Abraham millennia before, and they will be lived out. They will be fulfilled. Remember, this is all written by a young, probably teenage girl. You can see why I say she's a thinker. She's thought this stuff through. She knows the God who she said yes to. And Mary's song is this most phenomenal outpouring of worship. It's the song of a heart that has pondered and treasured. We see those words spoken of Mary in in chapter 2 of Luke. She's a ponderer, a treasurer of what God has done. And she just spills it out in praise. This is the God who I have said yes to. This is the God who I will journey through my life with. I wonder what your life looks like today. Now, it may be that that you're you're here this morning, you've never said a remote yes to God. You don't even know what that means or or what that would look like. But can I encourage you, as we've looked at Mary's song, as we've looked at why she said yes to God, to just ponder that in your own heart, to look at what it would mean to say yes to God. Or perhaps it's today that, yeah, you've become a disciple of Jesus, you've said an initial yes, but actually... Life is just getting a bit distracted. And God isn't getting glorified in our lives. And perhaps there are too many other things that are crowding in. Perhaps it's today that actually we just need to put a fresh line in the sand and say, this is the God that I will say yes to. This is what it means in my life to trust God as I journey ahead. Or it might be that actually today you've said yes to God. You're trusting him. But that yes at the moment is under a lot of pressure. You've said yes, but actually the things of life, if you like, are pulling the rope rather tight. And you're thinking, how much longer can I hang in there with God? How much longer can I trust him? The good thing is, Mary's story will tell us God never fails. He never lets us down. He's always there with us. Just a few things to ponder as we finish. Mary says yes to God. She draws, if you like, a line in the sand based on her knowledge an understanding of who God is. What's our response to God? The God who calls us, the God who loves us, the God who longs to reach out to us, the God who sent his son to die for us and be raised for us. What's our response to God? For the first time, for the thousandth time, what's our response to him this morning?